I don't know what the percentage is. I bet over half the people who come to these worship services have tattoos. We love them. They serve in leadership. They're deacons. I don't know if we have any elders with tattoos. I haven't asked, but, uh, but you know, they're, they're welcomed here. But the devil is conditioning a world for a coming tattoo, and it's called 666. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We've begun a look at the mark of the beast, that tattoo or emblem on the hand or forehead that the book of Revelation tells us one day everyone in the world will adopt if they want to be able to buy and sell goods. Our passage is from Revelation 13, verses 16 to 18. And so far, Dr. Brogy has noted that during the tribulation, people will take the mark of the beast. They will do it as a renouncement of their faith. They will take it for identification purposes, for commerce. And as we pick up today, Dr. Brogy notes, some will take the mark because they are consumed. Once again, let's think about the parable of the sower. And the third reason Jesus gives why some will not enter the kingdom, as he describes the thorny soil in Luke 8, 14. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and they go on their way. They are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. We'll learn in just a moment that some people will not be able to buy or sell anything. In fact, no person will be able to buy or sell anything unless they have the mark of the beast. So if you are more consumed with the worries of this world and its pleasures and the house you live in and the car you drive, you are in for a huge shock in terms of what is going to happen in this coming day. And the beast will win you over. He will capture your heart. Now, remember what Jesus said. He spoke in Luke 17, again, a parallel account to the Olivet Discourse of, Luke, of Matthew 24 and 25. And in Luke 17, he spoke about those people who would be eating and drinking with drunkards when he comes back. In other words, the world will be partying. They'll just be having a good old time. And then Jesus will come, and they will be forever lost. Now, second, beyond the beast's mark is a mark of renunciation. I want you to think for just a moment that the beast's mark is a mark of identification. It's a mark of identification. And several truths about this identification are brought out here in the text. First, I want you to think about the scope of the mark, the scope of the mark. Verse 16, and he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves, all meaning every category of people. Now, if you remember when we studied Revelation chapter 7, and we'll see it again when we come to the 14th chapter, there's 144,000 Jews who are converted who evangelize the world. And they too are given a mark on their forehead, such that they are unlike tribulation saints, other tribulation saints that are indestructible. No one can kill them. That's why they're going to be able to just keep preaching and preaching and preaching. Well, it's interesting, Satan being the great duplicator, he also has a mark that he puts on people's foreheads, and we call it the mark of the beast. Now, the word that's used here in Greek, karagma, 
would pop off the printed page to any first century reader because it was used of a slave who was given a mark. And remember, uh, most of the Roman Empire were in slavery. They were an indentured people. When they conquered a people, they would, they would enslave them. And so you were given a mark of ownership saying that you belong to the empire. It's also used outside of the Bible of a camel who has a mark on his body to show who owns him. It's also used outside of the Bible of a soldier who willingly takes a mark in order to identify with his general that he is his generals until, if necessary, he goes down in death. It's also used of a snake that bites you and leaves his mark. So it's an impression that's left upon people. And this is a visible mark, and the Bible says here, it is on your right hand or on your forehead. And he causes all. Notice the categories. First, the small and the great. That speaks of social status in a society, not the size of the body. The small and the great. From the untouchables, which is the lowest caste in India, to English royalty. Small and the great. Second, notice the rich and the poor. That speaks of an economic category of people. Whether it's the billionaire on Wall Street or the person who lives in the slums. And third, and really prophetically, the free men and the slaves. You say there will be slavery at the end of time? Yes, there will be, and there is today. Now, slavery is illegal in every single nation of the world. But the United Nations, you will read either 21 million people in the world are enslaved or 48 million people in the world are enslaved, depending on whom they put in that category. If you include those who are involved in sex trafficking, it's at 48 million. If you include those who are slaves for what they call collateral debt bondage, it's 21 million. Many countries of the world, if you owe someone something, it is legal for them to become your indentured servant until it's paid off. And if you die, then your son or daughter takes your place. You say, what countries in the world have this? Scores of them. Here's the top 10. India, China, Pakistan, Nigeria, Ethiopia, Russia, Thailand, DR Congo, Myanmar, and Bangladesh. God, who knows the future, knew that this would even be in place all the way back in John's day, that it would still be here. And so, that's the scope of the mark. Let's think for a moment about the nature of the mark here in verse 16. He said that these people are given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Again, the word mark, karagma, it is a word that is used of something that's inscribed or etched on an animal or on a human or on an object, someone who marks an object. In fact, I will not be at all surprised if it is a literal tattoo. Now, that's not to say that there couldn't be some kind of digital chip that's associated with this tattoo, that once you receive the tattoo, you're given the chip. That's not, I'm not saying that's impossible. But understand, the rapture could have taken place one year after Pentecost. No digital chips back then. And in every instance, it refers to a literal etching. And I think, again, the world is being set up to be willing to take this coming mark. According to a recent Harris poll, one in five Americans now brandish a tattoo. 
And the number between 18 to 25 in that age group, it climbs to 40%. Now, for me, that's kind of staggering because when I was a boy, there was few men and virtually no women that ever had a tattoo. And so this is a dramatic change that is taking place, not just in America, but globally across the world. Now, let me say, before someone creates a rumor about Community Bible Church, people with tattoos are welcomed here. And almost every week when we do baptisms, I see tattoos in the body that you don't see, on the neck, on the hands, on the feet. It's just become very commonplace. Suppose this guy came to church. What would I do with this fellow? I'd try to win him to Jesus. I'd try to share the gospel with him. He'd be welcomed here. I'd want to win him to Christ. Now, I probably wouldn't let him serve in the nursery. (laughs) He'd he'd scare some of the mothers and probably make the kids cry. But I'd want to win him to the Lord Jesus Christ. He would be very, very important to me. Now, listen. What does God say about tattoos? This is a question, by the way, that often comes up. Um you know, on the Bible line. My wife and I last year were on vacation, and we were at a place where there was people from all over the world. You know what? We felt like a minority because just about everybody had a tattoo. We just, it was just overwhelming. And look, it, 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 the, the whole culture of tattoos has changed, but what does God say? He said this in Leviticus 19, 28, you shall not make any cuts in your body for the dead, nor make any tattoo on yourselves. I am the Lord. And by the way, if you're curious what that verse means contextually, just go to the Bible line, type in tattoo, and you can hear my answer. It's asked many, many times. This is not part of the ceremonial law. Contextually, it's part of God's moral law. And He distinguished the Jewish people by their not banishing a tattoo. In fact, today, only about, as I said, 35% of the Jewish people are religious, and it's bothering the Orthodox to no end because tattoos have become so popular across Israel, but not just across Israel, across the world. By the way, all the church fathers, that's the group of men who lived after the apostles, who gave us scores and plethora of writing, and, and uh, they're in unanimous voice that a Christian should never wear a tattoo. It used to be said, can't be said today, but it used to be said not everyone who has a tattoo is in prison, but everyone who is in prison has a tattoo. <laughs> and that's true today. I mean, doctors, lawyers, you name it. People have all kinds of tattoos today. Now, here's a couple of guys. Did, did you have the one on the hand? Go back to the one on the hand. There we go. That's someone's right hand, 666. Could look like that, I suppose. Here's a guy who's a little more bold in the next picture. You can see he, he just really loves to wear that thing. And maybe it would be more like this. I don't know, a little the next guy, a, a little less conspicuous. But people are going to have a mark, and it's the word for in etching. Now, look. Tons of us have a tattoo. I don't have a tattoo, in case you're curious. Okay, that doesn't make me better than you, but by the grace of God, if I'd been another 10 years without being saved, I'd probably have one. Who knows? You can't get rid of them. I mean, for the most part. I know you can, but you can't. Just let it be a reminder of the grace of God in your life 
that God saved you. I mean, if that fella, I mean, practically, I mean, students call, they say, their mothers call and say, my son's up there at USC, wants to get a tattoo. Will you call him and convince him why not to get a tattoo? Well, again, sometimes you can take a point and you can exaggerate it. And when you exaggerate, you can step back and see the wisdom. Let's just say for the sake of argument, that first fellow I had pictured with tattoos, I mean, all over his body. How broad would his audience be in winning people to Christ if he's converted? It's significantly limited. There would be some mothers who'd hold their kids closer, and he wouldn't have a chance to talk to them about the Lord Jesus. You want to be all things to all men that you can win as many people as possible. And if you don't have any tattoos that are visible, you've got even more opportunity to do it. Now, so, again, no rumors, please. I don't know what the percentage is. I bet over half the people who come to these worship services have tattoos. We love them. They serve in leadership. They're deacons. I don't know if we have any elders with tattoos. I haven't asked, but, uh, but you know, they're, they're welcomed here. But the devil is conditioning a world for a coming tattoo, and it's called 666. Don't miss this. And he causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free man and all the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Why their right hand? Well, because most people are right-handed. Some of us have been blessed with left-handedness. But most people are right-handed. But even if you don't have a right arm or a right hand, everybody, if they're alive, has a forehead. So you're able somewhere to receive the tattoo. Now, why there? I don't know. I, I have a, a, a guess as to why they might have it on the right hand. Listen to what God said in the prophet Zechariah, the 11th chapter. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. If you know Zechariah chapters 9 through 14, it's the prophetic section of the book. And in that chapter, he describes the Jewish people in relation to the first coming of the Messiah and the second coming of the Messiah. And in reference to the first coming of the Messiah, because of their unbelief, he predicted that they would embrace a worthless shepherd. Some of your translations say a foolish shepherd. And we studied this recently. Jesus said, if I've, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. And so because the Jews did not receive Jesus as the Messiah, there is going to come a time where they're going to believe a false Messiah. Now, it's all going to change before the seven years is over, but they're going to believe a false Messiah. And there's only one physical description of the man in all the Bible, and it's here in Zechariah. Let me read the rest of the verse. A sword will be on his arm, and on his right eye, his arm will be totally withered, and his right eye will be blind. Now, if you remember, we've already noted the head womb from Revelation 13, verse 3. And it might be that this guy is blinded in one eye and has some kind of an arm problem, and therefore people identify him the same way they identified with Moshe Diane. Remember this fella? He was a great Israeli general. I can still see his picture on the front of Time magazine as a boy. And, of course, God used them in what they call a miracle war. And it was a miracle war, the 67 war, to defeat 100 million Arabs that was attacking a small little piece of land called Israel. And so after he won the war, 
tens of thousands of Israelis wore an eye patch over their eye for a week or so. Why? To identify with their great general Moshe Dayan. Well, people are going to identify with this coming beast. Now, let's conclude with the purpose of the mark in this section. The purpose of the mark, and he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Think about that for a moment. You're a young mother. You need some diapers. You need some formula. You need some baby food. You go to the store, but because you're a Christian, you can get none. You're a born-again Christian, you, you want to fill up the car with gas, but you can get none. You're a diabetic and you need meds, but you can get none because you do not have the mark of the beast. You're in your home and it's cold outside and you have no heat or it's blistering hot outside and you have no air conditioning. Why? Because you cannot buy from the utility company without the mark of the beast. You'll be able to buy or sell absolutely nothing. He provides that no one will be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. And some, because they love this world more than they love God, they'll take it. Finally, very quickly, this is a mark of enumeration. It's a mark of renunciation. It's a mark of identification, but it's also a mark of enumeration. The word enumerate, of course, means to number. And so there's a number associated with this man. Let's think first about his number marks his name here in verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. People sometimes call the Bible line, and they'll say, do you think the Antichrist is alive? I think he may very well be alive. In fact, I think it's very possible because Satan is not all-knowing and not knowing when the rapture would take place, that in every generation he's had a man in the wings ready to step up as his potential Antichrist. But in terms of being able to specifically identify him, no one can do that, not before the rapture of the church. But many Christians have foolishly done that. In the first century, they said Nero was the Antichrist because of his disdain for believers and how he persecuted so many. But Nero didn't even, if you read your Bible carefully, meet the qualifications of the Antichrist, only on the evil side, but not on the plus side. Uh, in A.D. 81, they said Domitian was the Antichrist because he demanded that men worship him. In the Middle Ages, Muhammad was thought to be the Antichrist because he desecrated so many holy places. Again, this is pre-printing press. People could not read and pour over the Scriptures like we do today, and there was a lot of misinformation that was uh, shared across the world. In the 13th century, the Emperor Fred Frederick II would continually sit, call Pope Gregory IX the Antichrist, and the Pope would call him the Antichrist. They enjoyed that, I think. During the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther said, was, said the Pope was the Antichrist, and they said he was the Antichrist. A hundred years later, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, they wrote this in Article 25, there is no other head of the church than the Lord Jesus Christ. In no sense can the Pope of Rome be the head of it. That's true. Rather, he, the Pope of Rome, is the Antichrist. 
Now, again, remember, the Reformed faith do not, does not take a futuristic view of the book of Revelation because they spiritualize it. They take the historical view for the most part, or the preterist view, the past view. But the historical view, if you remember the opening sermon in the Revelation, says that the book of Revelation is being fulfilled during human history. And so they literally thought that the Pope in their day was actually the Antichrist. Now, understand in Greek and in Latin and in Hebrew, every letter has a numerical equivalent. And so, I suspect it will probably be a Hebrew name since the Antichrist will be a Jew. But I know this much, that when you take the man's name, the letters of his name, and you add it up, it will add up to 666. That's what God tells us. So first, the number declares his name. Secondly, his number marks his nature. It not only declares his name, it marks his nature. The number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. God is underscoring he's a man. 666. It almost has a hiss sound in it, doesn't it? 666. Now, what's God's number? 777. And we've seen already in our study of the Revelation that numbers can have literal value or figurative value. We saw number one was a number of unity. We saw the number three is a, is a, a number that marks the triune God. The number seven represents perfection, and the number six represents the number of a man. Man was created on the sixth day, and six days he is to work, all the way through Scripture. But here's this coming leader who will try to mimic the Holy Trinity, Satan taking the place of the Father, the Antichrist, the Son, the false prophet, the Spirit of God. And so his number is 666, and it adds up to the name of the Antichrist. Now, you don't want to know the name of the Antichrist. And if you ever learn it, it just means that you were left behind. Third, his number marks his people. His number marks his people. Again, here is wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. John is saying, if you have wisdom this morning, you'll take him seriously. Now, understand on this side of the rapture, this is important, but it will also be very important for people on the other side of the rapture who are not yet converted, who have never heard the gospel, who are going to pour over this book. I mean, there's some terrible days that is in front of humanity. And Jesus said, had those days not been cut short, no one would survive. And billions of people will be convinced to take the number of the beast. A census worker came to the door of a lady some 40 years ago, and he said, now, how many children do you have in your home? And she said, let's see, there's Bobby and Jimmy and Sally, and no, no, I don't need their names. Just give me the number, lady. How many kids do you have? She said, sir, my children are not numbered. They are named. Listen, to Satan, you're nothing more than a number. You're a piece of trash. And he wants you to spend an eternity in the lake of fire where he is headed. 
And if you take the number of the beasts, it is an irreversible decision. It will never be able to be undone. You will have made an eternal decision. Now, you're not saved by not taking the number, but if your faith is genuine in Christ, it's shown by its works. And one of the works of a believer in that time is he refuses the number. And those who have a false faith in a false Messiah will take his number, 666. But it doesn't have to be that way. If you come to the Lord Jesus, the Bible says we've already studied in Revelation chapter 2 and again in chapter 3, God will give you a special name. You are a person. You are a name to God. He cares deeply about you. But if you don't come to Christ, you'll get a number. What will it be, a name or a number? No one can decide for you but you. Our Father, thank you for what we've read this morning, that your word tells us not only how this world came into being, something that Satan habitually attacks in order to undermine the authority of your word, but you've also told us how it all is going to end. And thank you that no one here within the sound of my voice needs to go through the great tribulation. No one needs to experience all the war and the turmoil and the plagues, much less in an eternity without you. For today is the day of salvation. You said, whosoever will may come. And so help someone today to respond to the wooing work of your spirit. Thank you that because your son didn't pay for most of our sin, but because he paid for all of it and he proved his ability as a sinless person when you raised him from the dead, thank you that if we will come through him, we can come to you. You said there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved. Help someone today in humility to admit that they cannot be their own savior, that in your eyes that they are bankrupt but help them to flee to the one who completely bore the wrath their sin deserves. Help them not to spend another moment in unbelief, but to come to the light that they might become a son or a daughter of light. Help someone in simple childlike faith, Father, to say, Lord Jesus, save me. And Father, for those of us who've made that decision, Help us not to be swayed by the moral climate of the day. Help us not to be characterized by lukewarmness. But may there be a passion in our hearts. And may we even this week look for people who need the forgiveness and the new life that you've given us. Thank you that someone was faithful to tell us. May we be as faithful. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen again to today's study entitled The Mark of the Beast, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a copy on CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV35. 
Would you come alongside Search the Scriptures and join us in our mission of introducing people to Christ and growing Christians in their relationship with the Lord? Your one-time or recurring gift would be most helpful as we air on radio stations in the U.S. and around the world on the Internet. For more information, call 877-787-7478 or click the Give button online at searchthescriptures.org or on the Search the Scriptures app. Thank you. Tomorrow we ask and answer the question, Do you know what time it is? Join us then as we search the Scriptures. (laughs) 